Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode this week. And uh, we should be wrapping out chapter 12 today. There's two small sections, and we're going to talk a little bit about them. And I hope that we can get through both of them. It shouldn't take us too much time. And so if we finish before that 30-minute mark, as you know, we will probably end the show because we want to dedicate the time to the appropriate topics and not waste time going down rabbit holes, though we do from time to time, or try to cram another topic in with only 10 or 15 minutes left and we don't give it the appropriate time. So my goal is to talk through the topic and if I just don't happen to get to the second one, I'm totally fine with that. And these are relatively short uh, sections here. It's verses 43 through 40 uh, through 50. So it's just seven verses, two sections, return of an unclean spirit and Jesus's mother and brothers. And we're going to talk about both of those today. So uh, if you've been trekking with us for a while, there's been some changes on the show's end, if you would, and we're just kind of producing them uh, every Friday as normal. But uh, the show timeline is decreased tremendously, mostly just because uh, of everything else going on in my life. And I still want to produce these shows, but I want to make sure that uh, I, I give the topic itself the appropriate amount of time. So if that means a little bit less than 30 minutes, then I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, other than that, some changes on Patreon, we're kind of pausing some of the big developments that I was hoping to do there this summer, mostly due to other things going on in my personal life. And so if you are a patron, I do appreciate the uh, hanging with me until we figure out what we're going to do. It's probably going to to take us into the fall, but uh, I would hopefully have some answers there soon for you. But let's get into the topic at hand. Uh, we are going to look at verses 43 through 50, but we're going to uh, start with 43 through 45, and we will see what happens. 
When the unclean spirit was gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept away and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. The last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Now remember, this is a continuation from the previous statement that Jesus has made with the sign of Jonah. Jesus is not taking breaks and doing separate small sermons or small teaching points. The thought process is very continuating from earlier in chapter 12. It is a one big conversation. And while I do love and appreciate the section headings that we get in the modern Bibles, sometimes they can take away from that kind of natural flow of conversation because it almost makes it feel like these are separate instances of teaching or they're separate points in time that Jesus is teaching. And while that may be the case in some, you'll see, um, for instance, in verse 46, when we get there, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brother stood outside. So uh, there's things that are now happening as Jesus continues to speak. But this isn't uh, Jesus traveling to another location. This isn't Jesus traveling uh, or going up to the mountainside or anything like that. This is a continuation of essentially what we, we would call a sermon to the Pharisees. So as we begin to unpack this particular passage, we need to note a few things. First is that in the culture that Jesus is speaking to in this current time period, the Jews and Israelites had this understanding or this belief that demons only inherited the desert places, the dry, remote, uh, obsolete, like out of knowledge areas, just like the wastelands, the places people don't go to. And so that's what they believed uh, is where they, the evil spirits inhabited was those desert places. And if they didn't find a resting place there, they would seek out more of a human habitat, and they would seek to find somebody to possess. That's what the evil spirits would do. And this is what their belief was. And so Jesus has really just given us kind of a, a very short parable on this spirit. But what he's showing us is more so of the person who formerly had the demon. That's the house in regard in reference to verse 44. Then it says, I will return to my house, back to the person who formerly had the demon. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, and it's all swept, it's all nice and order, but then more spirits come. When a state of neutrality exists, when a person is either against or for Christ, the demon can regain possession. The emptiness invites occupation. So, to think about that. That is a very pointed message in today's world. If you are either, you know, against Christ or you're neutral in this, you have the ability to be possessed by a demon. Christians do not have that ability to be possessed. I have heard it, you know, in, in all the years I've been in the ministry and, and doing all this kind of stuff. I've heard stories of people who claim to be Christian and then are possessed by demons. And 
it really is a it, 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 it's a difficult and terribly hard path to tread. And, and I say that because what kind of faith did they have prior? And what were they doing to get that possession? Were they messing with occult-type things? Were they uh, doing seances, playing with the Ouija board? Were they doing things that Christians shouldn't be doing? Because if you're doing those things, then you are walking away from Christ. You are essentially kicking him out of your house, and you are inviting whatever spirit is uh, you're messing with to come in. And as Jesus says, when that spirit comes back, he brings seven more evil spirits. And that seven is really just a representation of more, a plethora, the legion, right? Remember the text of the legion, we are many. That is what's taking place here. And so when one evil spirit comes to dwell, many more come to dwell with it. And that is a frightening thought because I think something, especially in the West, that is underplayed is, is demonic possession. And we have small instances of the Catholic Church dealing with it. We have some instances around the world, more so in uh, the Spanish cultures, or in maybe even in some of the Orthodox circles of demonic possession. We don't generally see it in the Protestant movement. In fact, the Protestants will, uh, outside of the Pentecostal movement, just kind of ignore that type of thing. There's there's no set class of preacher to engage that. Now, in the Catholic Church, they have a demonologist, and those are the people who do uh, study the demons, and, and they perform exorcisms and things like that. In the Protestant movement, we don't have that title, nor do we carry that office. But in the Pentecostal movement, you'll see that people will come, and, and it's almost, in my opinion, a mockery of the gospel because they will um, put on a show and they're you know they'll be twitching and shaking and they'll say you know all sorts of stuff and then they ooh release the demon and then you know of course in those circles everything is a demon everything has an evil spirit uh, the evil spirit of poverty come out of you you know it's just ex exhausting and unbiblical so I, I when I see those types of videos on like social media I just I laugh because I know that is not how scripture gives us the answer. And interestingly enough, we can turn to how the Roman Catholics do it. And from what I've read and studied in, in just those little pieces there uh, on the Roman Catholic side is they are focused solely on the authentic possession of a person. And they, they take things from scripture that uh, you know, they take the advice and the, and the heedance that Jesus gives to his disciples, and they cast these demons out in the name of Jesus. I firmly believe that demonic possession is real, and I believe that there are remnants in the church that are trained to deal with it. But not every pastor deals with it, and especially in the Protestant movement, uh, not there's very few that do, very few that can recognize it. And... Uh, it, it is it is a scary thing. It is an absolute scary thing to encounter. I mean, you, you want to talk about like the, the the worst horror movie or like the scariest horror movie you've ever seen in your life. This is 10 times worse and it is 100% real. And I think sometimes we as Christians 
we, we like to say, oh, it's a spiritual warfare, or, you know, and angels and demons are battling, and, you know. But if we think about it, how thin the veil is between life and death, and then we consider what is on the other side, and then we consider that God and the Holy Spirit operate in the spiritual realm, Christ operates for us here in this world because he's still fully man and fully God. But these angels all exist in the spiritual realm. These demons exist in the spiritual realm. And the demons need a human, a body to possess in order for them to, you know, wreak havoc on other people. Angels do not do that. They do not possess people. They come and they're visitors. They're messengers and they're warriors. And so they would be, you know, in this constant battle with demons over the souls of mankind. And that's one view to take about the spiritual world. But it's, it's interesting. Sometimes I think we might acknowledge it, but we don't truly spend time to dwell at how thin the veil is between this world and the next. And we don't spend enough time, in my opinion, understanding what we're against in this world, who the enemy is, and what is that enemy going to try and do to us and our loved ones and those around us. Now, I know some of you listening may not necessarily agree with me on my view of demons and spiritual warfare and all that that we get into, and it's okay. It's a completely secondary doctrine, secondary topic, and whether you believe in the fullest extent of that the Roman Catholics do or in the most conservative and condensed view that many of the Protestant circles do, do, either side is really okay because it's not going to take us away from who Jesus Christ is and the work that he's done. But scripture is pretty clear that he actively casted out a number of demons. And in fact, the scriptures make it that it was countless by the time we would try to add it all together. We just couldn't. It would be, an, uh, the number is not possible to acquire. We know that there are specific instances and then we know that large crowds came to him and he cast out demons. How many were in those crowds? We don't know. But we do know the ministry of Jesus Christ actively is casting out demons. And it's interesting as we assert that these are the, the points of which a person's faith could take root. That demon then cannot come back and inhabit that person once they have faith in Christ. So you could be possessed, be saved from that possession, and then have faith in Jesus Christ for saving you. That is a, a very uh, logical movement of the formula. Perfectly possible. However, you cannot be a believer in Jesus Christ and then be possessed by a demon. The, the two just don't go together. You cannot hold hands with the devil and claim to be a Christian. It just doesn't work. It's black and white. It is either you are with Christ or you are against Christ. That is how all of the scripture plays out. So uh, Jesus basically is describing how a person delivered from a demon uh, can actually become worse when there's a failure to fill that emptiness with goodness. So if they fail to acquire faith, it can get potentially worse. You can also relapse into old and habitual sins when we fail to nourish our spiritual ways through word and sacrament. Only the Holy Spirit can replace the evil spirits that we are constantly seeking someone to devour. 
with the words from Luther's baptism service, we cry out, Depart thou unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit. That is really a, a, a prayer that the Christian can make. And, and it's not that we are essentially possessed, but the, the unclean spirits can be tied into our habitual sins and things like that mm -hmm. that keep us chained into this kind of running into the ground, uh, our faith. And so it is very vital that we participate in daily uh, Bible reading, and daily prayer, weekly sermons, weekly church. These things are vital to the health of the Christian, the overall health. And I venture to say that if you don't actively look at Scripture every day, even if it's just reading a few verses, take the time read just five verses a day. I'm just I'm asking you to do that, change your habit, and start focusing on the Word of God to be renewed, replenished by the Word of God. Then, when you, if you have the opportunity, get yourself into divine service and get yourself into a, a regular routine of partaking in sacraments. Another vital piece to the Christian health. All right, let's move on here. We've got uh, some time left, so we're going to look at Jesus' mother and brothers. Verses 46 through 50, this is what it says. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does not does the will of the, my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of people dealing with this particular passage here on the brothers and sisters of Jesus that would really uh, try and downplay the importance of Mary, his mother. Now, the text tells us that Mary and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. We don't know what they wanted to talk to him about. They, he doesn't, you know, the, the text doesn't tell us anything beyond that. And Jesus gives us this little uh, acknowledgement here at the end, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I've noticed, especially in the Protestant circles, again, it's kind of just a bashing on Protestant episode. I'm sorry, but it, it, anyways, the, the downplay to the significance of Mary. As a Lutheran, we don't worship Mary. I mean, that's pretty pretty straightforward, and I know the Protestants don't. Um, we don't pray to Mary, but we acknowledge that she's the mother of God. And how do we deduce that? Well, if Jesus Christ is God, then she's the mother of God. Now, she didn't create God. She wasn't ever existing, and we would also affirm that she, depending on where you get your flavor of Lutheran, I don't particularly believe that she was sinless. But she is the mother of Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. And so that makes her the, the mother of God. And you can't separate that. You, 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 have to, you would have to do like massive hula hoops to try and get around just the simple acknowledgement of who Mary is. Mary has a very important role. She played a very important role in bringing in to this world Christ and raising him. That is significant. And so no matter what you have, feelings, uh, whether they're positive or negative for Mary, acknowledge the fact that Jesus isn't trying to downplay her role here in this text. 
what is actually happening is we're showing uh, something that he's been really kind of reiterating over and over. Remember the pick up your cross and follow him, die to yourself daily. If your brothers and sisters in Christ aren't more important than just than your physical blood family, then Jesus is making that pretty bold statement that then you your priorities are are backwards. But that's not to say that you can't love your parents. Love your parents. Love your siblings. Love your brothers and sisters. Love your children. Love your spouse. Those are your mission fields. But Christ and the and the brothers and sisters, the spiritual family of believers, is a priority for Jesus over his earthly family. There's nothing wrong, again, in saying that. Because that's what the text is telling us. That these people, the people he's administering to, the people that he's bringing faith to, the people that he's healing, the people that he is casting demons out of, these are the folk that are more important than his earthly family. That doesn't mean that his earthly family isn't important. It's just there's a priority, right? You you have to establish that with just a clear logical thinking. And, and it, it just, sometimes I feel like we try to look deeper into the scripture than what it really is. And we try to denounce that Jesus is downplaying the role of his mother. And then we use texts like, you know, the uh, wine or the the wedding in Cana when he you know he his mom approaches him and he's like what do you want woman you know I mean that I, I think we try to tie passages like this that are really kind of unrelated to really downplay the role of Mary but that's not what's taking place here in the scripture what we're getting is simply the priorities of Christ and that is to continue to deliver faith to the unbelievers. And his priority is his family of believers. And then he goes on here in uh, verse 50. Uh, it says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister. The will of uh, the God's, the Father's will is in, to spread the gospel. It includes all believing people. Whoever does the will of God, sharing the gospel, bringing faith, is considered a brother and sister. They are in that spiritual family. By doing what pleases the Father, we identify ourselves as members of the family of Jesus. By doing what pleases the Father. Again, that's sharing the gospel. It, the good works in that are great, but we know throughout Scripture, especially with Isaiah and various other passages in the New Testament, our good works are nothing but dirty rags before God. So it's not the good works that we're doing. That's not the Father's will in this particular instance. The Father's will does include that down the line. But in the most immediate framework, the will of God is to spread the gospel. Why do you think in Matthew 28, some of the first words that Jesus speaks back to his disciples is when he says this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Make disciples by baptizing and teaching them. Go make disciples. That's the Great Commission. That is the pinnacle piece to the Christian faith. That is what everything is revolving around. And as we go out and we share that gospel, our good works come from those actions. Our good works are a result of the actions of sharing the gospel. How could we claim to be a Christian if we don't share the gospel? And how can we claim to be a Christian if we don't do the will of the Father, which is share the gospel? But by doing that, 
You are including yourself. You are identifying yourself in the family of God. So next week, we're going to get into the parable of the sower. I just preached a sermon on this one um, this past Sunday, uh, which would have been the 16th of July. Uh, so we'll tackle that next Friday. Uh, again, a little shorter of an episode today, but just for time's sake, it uh, works out for me better. But uh, it is Friday when this drops, so make sure you guys are uh, getting to church on Sunday. I hope you guys have a great weekend. God bless. We'll see you all later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.